the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, everyone. This is Crystal from 104.1 The Fish. I am so delighted to be back in the saddle again for our life-inspired podcast. And who better to start the new season out with than the Salvation Army? Today, I'm joined by Major Bob and Major Nancy. And this is the Cascade Division of the Salvation Army, which services not only the state of Oregon, but also Idaho. So today we're really excited because we have something really special we want to share with you. There is an event that's coming up that is going to help service kids in our area. It's our All About Kids campaign. And we're doing it a little bit different this year, Major Bob, simply because of COVID. Well, we really need to make sure that we're protecting people, that we're practicing safe social distancing and so forth. So it really makes sense this year to do a virtual event. And that way we can get even more people into our virtual room than we could if we were at a hotel or someplace. So we're really excited about that event coming up on June 16. What else is going to be different? I understand this year's speaker has a wonderful connection to the Salvation Army. Uh, She has a fascinating story of being homeless, coming into our Salvation Army female emergency shelter by herself. And then because she was, I believe, an Air Force veteran, she ended up over at the Salvation Army's Veterans Family Center where she was reunited with her children. So we're going to highlight her. We have Michael Allen Harrison, who is going to be talking about some of the mentoring that he's been doing with some young people. So it's going to be a fun event. You can invite people to your house if you've all been vaccinated, (laughs) or you can just join us virtually and you can listen to the testimonials and you'll have an opportunity to bid on some amazing bid packages. If people want to attend, how do they go about doing that? Well, if people want to attend, they can um, check, I believe, the FISH website because you'll, yes. you'll have information specifically on that. We'll also um, have some information on how you can join at cascade.salvationarmy.org. Perfect. So check out those websites. And uh, remember, June 16, we'll be starting at 6 p.m. and it'll be a lot of fun. There are so many different ways that the Salvation Army really supports our community. There are quite a few different areas of service right here in Portland. Well, first of all, I will say that any time there's an emergency, uh, we have folks that are in place that can step up to the plate, so to speak. So any of the kind of surprises, the one-offs, like the uh, wildfires, mm-hmm. we realized one morning, Major Nancy and I were looking out our window and we saw that there were people rolling into the Clackamas Mall who were trying to stay ahead of the fires. And so we were able to get together some folks and start providing services there at the Clackamas Mall to those displaced folks. So we're always kind of looking yes. for opportunities to help people. But we do have a number of established programs because we've been in Portland since they 1986. It's over 100 years that we So, know you know what? We've done the <laughs> pandemic thing before. We did that way back in 1917, 1918. This is our second pandemic. We've been here through world wars, famines, and uh, we've been consistently providing services, and we've been downtown Portland since before the turn of the century. Major Bob, you look great. 
Well, don't I? Yeah, I know for being over 100 years old, I'm the guy that wears the uniform, so they assume I've been here forever. Oh, my goodness. But, you know, every every day downtown, we're providing three to 400 meals through a little six-inch window to the people on the street because we can't have folks in the dining room. Yes. So every day, we're providing an amazing number of meals at our residential programs to people on the street, and uh, we put hundreds of people into a bed every night. And, you know, we couldn't do that if it wasn't for the support that we get from the Fish Radio and you, Crystal. And, and the listeners. So we're really yes. appreciative that so many people have come around us over the last hundred plus years yes. and helped us provide significant amount of service. I have been a part of the Salvation Army volunteering for many years. And one of the reasons why I've always supported the Salvation Army is because I see the integrity. I see what you all do. You do it with excellence. And so I just can't imagine another organization that does it better. Well, there's a tremendous amount of joy in being able to provide resources without asking a ton of questions. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people assume that the Salvation Army is asking questions and, you know, only helping certain people. And that's just really not true. If you need help and you show up at one of our locations, we don't ask a lot of questions And during the pandemic, we asked almost no questions. We actually uh, helped about 35,000 families during our Operation Share Hope food distribution Mm -hmm, at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, We set up a large drive-through distribution at Lloyd Center, at Clackamas Valley Mall, and at East Hills Church in Gresham. And the only questions we asked were the questions that the Oregon Food Bank asked us mm-hmm. to ask of each car. And that was basically how many are in your family and one or two other questions. So right. we really just want to be able to help people. We love being able to provide resources in the midst of difficult times without asking all sorts of questions. It's you know, just a real joy. So I think it's really um, significant that at a time in our country when the pandemic was first starting, um, we had to close down, didn't we? I mean, a, as a country, everybody pretty much closed down. But that's when we had to actually go to work. We couldn't leave people out on the streets or wondering how they were going to be supported. And so from the very get-go, um, the Salvation Army has been really present on the streets and serving. Our shelters never closed. We never stopped admitting people. People because that's when people need you the most. And we were privileged to be able to help in that way. And we are grateful. I can just think of things throughout the year that the Salvation Army does that I've been a part of from Christmas, giving out gifts to families who wouldn't have a Christmas otherwise, coats. And I think we just did the coat drive. We just did a coat drive. After school programs, music lessons, things that people don't even realize that we do. And let's not forget Camp Karatley. And you know, Major Nancy uh, years ago was the one that ran all the camp programs. And I remember sending kids to her and And uh, she was known as Miss Davis back then, but she has tons of stories about lives that have been changed at our summer camps. So it's really important to emphasize that uh, the value of a five-day experience at camp, um, going in away from mom and dad into an environment where it's just them with several other campers, the bond that's created much like a family, there's living skills that are taught, like how do you sit around a table and have manners and engage with the people around you? But it's not just about the kids, the the young kids that come. We hire staff that need to have some work experience. We have an opportunity in our staff to teach work ethic, to teach them how to love kids, how to mentor, and how to coach. It's a win-win for everybody that comes to camp. My favorite camp story of all time is back when Major Nancy was running the camp up in uh, the Northwest Division, and my wife and I were in Everett, and we took a girl out to music camp. And at the end of the camp, they did a recital, and she was playing this uh, piano piece that she'd 
learned during the course of the camp, and she kept repeating. <laughs> she repeated it four or five times, and it was kind of obvious, and there was a little bit of rustling in the crowd. And on the way home, my wife asked this young girl why she kept repeating the song, and she said that she knew when the song was over and her performance was done and she had to go home, she'd be going home. And wow. she was just fearful of going home because oh. some of the circumstances that were happening there and it led to a discussion that allowed my wife to provide some additional services to protect her. But a lot of these children that come to camp, they're leaving very challenging circumstances and they're being loved on and cared for and cherished mm-hmm. for a week. And that can make a lifetime difference. When a child arrives, there's, you know, there's fear and there's dread because they've left everything. They don't know anybody. But by the end of the week, there are tears, not tears of joy necessarily, but tears of, I can't believe I've made these friends and now I have to leave them. So it just the, the relationship, the camaraderie that's built over a course of five days is remarkable. So my question is, I know this year we probably won't be having camp. When do you think camps will resume? So we are going to have camp of sorts. It's going to be day camp, and we're going to be going into five communities. Our staff is going to travel into those communities, and um, that's really the limitations that we have to work with this year. We are fairly confident that we will have full residential camp next summer. Fantastic. Is it too late for kids to get involved if they want to be a part of it this year? Absolutely not. They just need to call the Salvation Army that's closest to them and just let the officers there know that they're interested in participating. And we always try to steer people to cascade.salvationarmy.org. Everything will be there. That is for sure. You all also help military veterans, military families. You know, we do have a program in Beaverton that that houses veterans and their families, and that's a very flourishing program. I was actually there just a couple nights ago, and it's interesting to be in that program after hours when the kids are there and and running around, but they have about a dozen kids right now, and of course they have about 15 uh, dogs and cats as well, uh, because the (laughs) veterans, you know, do enjoy having their companion animals, but that's a very flourishing program. They are part of the family, yes. Salvation Army has always been a part of the military as far back as I can recall. And you're also responsible for a very special day that's coming up, and that's National Donut Day. And it's always the first Friday of June. So this year it's going to be June 4th. How did that all come about? And either one of you can share that. Back uh, when the First World War broke out, our national commander at that time, Evangeline Booth, wanted the Salvation Army to be involved in supporting the troops. So she actually approached the President of the United States and was referred over to General Pershing. And he was a little bit reluctant to allow the commander, Evangeline Booth, to send women to the battlefield. But she had a very strong personality. She prevailed. And by the end of the First World War, there was about 250 Salvation Army personnel on the front lines. And the women there were wondering what they could do to support the troops who were stuck in those horrible World War I trenches for miles with a no-man's land, and it was a brutal war. And these women, at some point, stumbled upon making donuts in uh, soldier steel helmet pots. Wow. So they would put lard in that, and um, there were just five or six basic ingredients. They started making donuts, and the men in those trenches were so enamored with uh, the taste of something that was home-baked. And I suspect that the smell of cooking donuts probably 
covered the smell of the decaying bodies in, wow. in no man's land. And when those World War I soldiers came back, they loved donuts and they loved the Salvation Army. And that has continued to this day. Matter of fact, you guys brought me some donuts today. Thank you so much, Adam. Adam <laughs> is our new director at the Salvation Army. That's such a compelling story. And I don't think very many people know about that. So what else do we do special on National Donut Day? Well, on National Donut Day, every year we try to make sure that we uh, provide some donuts to some of our our city responders, police departments, fire departments, Mm -hmm. um, around our Salvation Army Division, all of Oregon and Southern Idaho, we try to make sure that we're providing donuts perhaps to veterans. But we do try to make sure that we communicate to our our communities that we care, that we're here still after all these years, and we want to be of encouragement and support. And nothing encourages somebody more than giving them a free donut. It is true. <laughs> and this year, because of the pandemic, I know the frontline workers are going to be first and foremost on the Salvation Army's list of people to go and visit. Two years ago, I can't believe it's been two years, Nancy, that you all were here. You came up to the station. You all brought donuts. We talked about it. And the last time we celebrated was two years ago. Hard to so, believe. I know, isn't it? I just want to um, just emphasize what Major Bob was talking about when on on the battlefield, this was a touch of home for these guys, and they needed it. It was their opportunity to feel loved, to feel that somebody cared about them, and I think that's what propelled the movement forward then, because when they came home, they also wanted to contribute. They liked the donuts, which we've tasted them, and the recipe's not that great, but it was a taste of home is what it was, and and that covered anything. I was just in one of the Salvation Army thrift stores the other day. So how do we go about supporting that effort as well? Well, you know, we're seeing a lot of changes in culture, a lot of changes in the economy, and the Salvation Army is kind of experimenting how we can keep up with um, all of the changes in society and so forth. That's a little bit of a work in progress, mm-hmm. what the future holds. But we also understand that the thrift stores have been a bit of a fixture for many, many years and that there are folks who are probably more closely aligned with the thrift stores. So we, we do want to encourage support, but I think the, the future of, of how our thrift stores evolve is a little bit yet to be seen. Yeah, we're, we're really in the process of remaking that area. And um, we have new officers that have been appointed that are going to come into town and really assess what we need to do and what direction we need to go. But currently, we have five thrift stores in the um, Portland area, one in Salem, and then several smaller ones across the state. And, you know, you can always get a good buy and a good deal when you go into a thrift store. Oh, that's true. I actually saw some record albums. I was like, these might be worth something. I don't know. But you never know. And this area, they love thrift stores. I'm well, just thrift saying. stores are really critical for a lot of folks that are struggling financially. Absolutely. You know, it has a very important niche. And, um, there's a lot of folks that rely on thrift stores for very basics. I think the other challenge is that the cost of recycling and the cost of disposing of the garbage is growing more and more prohibitive. Absolutely. Um, the Salvation Army spends literally thousands of dollars a month having to dispose of items that cannot be recycled. Right. And the recycling market has pretty much tanked. Yes. So it's it's more and more challenging to operate thrift stores in in an environment where all the costs are escalating, costs of fuel, costs of maintaining vehicles, employee benefits, um, the the rising minimum wages. Um, all of these factors make it more and more expensive to operate a thrift store. And at the same time, 
we do recognize that there's a lot of folks that really do depend on on those thrift stores for basic essentials. The Salvation Army is the place that you go to in time of need and in times of joy. But we know that there are many women here in the city of Portland and around the world that deal with domestic violence. That's a huge part of the Salvation Army. Well, especially during the pandemic, um, abusers' greatest tool is social isolation. So we've seen concerns about domestic violence just dramatically increase this past year. And our own program has continued to take people in each and every day of the pandemic. You know, even when people were at their their greatest moments of fear over catching COVID-19, we were still there every day taking people in. So, yes, we generally have about 60 victims of domestic violence and children in our shelter at any given time. And we also pay rent for about another 30 to 40 families in their own units. You know, once we get somebody into our program, we work with them to find out what their next step will be. And we continue to support them for some time after they leave our physical shelter. So that's a huge program. And, yes, we do try very hard to keep locations and names confidential so we can protect those who are turning to us. But that is a significant program that just continues to be of importance for folks that are struggling. A couple of examples of how we've modified our services to make sure that we're helping children in particular during the pandemic this past year is, first of all, we created space for a virtual learning classroom so that children could remain safely in our secure domestic violence shelter and not miss a day of school. We wanted to make sure the kids could still keep up with their education. So that was a nice opportunity for us. The other thing we did different this year is that we actually had a toy distribution program but using a drive-through model, and we helped just over 3,100 children in that manner. So everything we did this last year, we tried to do in a way that respected social distancing, and we were able to help more people than we've ever helped before. I know downtown now is just really suffering. Salvation Army has had a huge presence down there, but that's changing as well. We have our Salvation Army Female Emergency Shelter at 2nd and Burnside, mm-hmm. and like most Most of the businesses downtown, we've had to board up all of our first floor windows. Each and every day, we do provide three to 400 meals out a six-inch window on the side of our building. But like a lot of buildings, uh, you might think that we're we're not there unless you you look and see that line waiting for food. Uh, In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, I met a vendor who is um, going to be helping us with a new walk-in freezer that uh, a donation is paying for. And I met the gentleman at the door and he said, oh, I thought this building was unoccupied. I thought this building was abandoned. Because again, virtually every day we're cleaning up graffiti. We've had to board up our first floor windows. Back during the protests, every night when I would watch on the news, I would see people marching in protest across the Burnside Bridge. And we're right there at 2nd and Burnside. Right. So literally every night of the protests... I would see people walking past our building, and you know that there's some tagging going on. You know that there's some vandalism occurring, unfortunately. Just a couple of weeks ago, we actually used our Salvation Army Female Emergency Shelter as a vaccination site. And uh, we were trying to entice people from our feeding line, many whom have mental health issues, and many of whom are still high on drugs from the night before. We were trying to entice them inside to get that uh, vaccination, and it was really difficult. Number one, don't want to go inside a building. They're claustrophobic. And number two, the minute they see somebody that looks official and has needles, it was just kind of sad having something that would positively impact their lives so dramatically and have them be distrustful and not want to get that vaccine. So 
But we're in the heart of where some of the greatest challenges are. Also, church, we don't talk about that a lot, but there is service, and the services are held all over the city of Portland. Well, and when you meet a practical need, inevitably, the conversation will turn to how somebody is doing personally, mm-hmm. and it gives you an opportunity to pray. Absolutely. So during World War One, it wasn't just about donuts. Commander Evangeline Booth didn't care what they were going to serve at the front. She just wanted men and women at the front who could be there. Um, helping in a practical way to open the door to have a word of prayer. And I imagine there were many prayers at the front of the war in First World War and Second World War, actually. And we have opportunities every day down at the Salvation Army Female Emergency Shelter to ask somebody, how are you doing? And that quite often leads into prayer. We have our full-time chaplain at our domestic violence program, who I know has opportunities to pray. So we look for those practical opportunities. We don't ask questions that it's going to, you know, chase people away. We don't want to chase people away. We want to meet those practical needs in a way that is caring and respectful and that will open a door to allow us to have some spiritual impact. Because at the end of the day, that's what matters the most. Amen. I was really surprised when we were having the drive-through distribution for COVID um, for food. It was amazing that, um, like Major Bob said, we didn't ask questions, but we did have a sign up over at a tent that said, if you would like prayer, come over here. And we had a number of people that came by and asked specifically for prayer or prayer of certain kinds related um, not just to food, but to needs that they were having in their lives. It was, it was a wonderful moment. I couldn't think of a better way to end today's podcast. Podcast than with a word of prayer. I'd be happy to. Our Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this beautiful day. We're thankful for the privilege of loving you. We thank you, God, for the opportunities that we have to serve you in ways that are just unbelievable, where we can have an opportunity to touch people at their greatest point of need. We pray, Lord, that you would keep our eyes open to those opportunities. Sometimes they're big opportunities, and sometimes it's a small thing that has a huge impact in somebody's life. But Lord, help us to love and to care for people the way that you did and help us to be your hands and your feet that people know that what we say and do is a touch that comes from you. Lord, we just commit our acts of service to you in that way and we pray that your blessing would be upon each and every person who hears this in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you both so much for being here. Is there anything else that y'all would like to add? Well, I have about a thousand more stories. (laughs) I bet you do. (laughs) But uh, I guess uh, that will be for another time. But I really appreciate you having us in, Crystal. Thank you. You're so welcome.